we're so used to as a westernized culture used to okay going to bed we've got nice warm you know central heating you know electric blankets and you know there is none of that there Welcome to the Crossing It Off Podcast, where we believe living with intention through a bucket list lifestyle is a great way to bring yourself personal joy. As you are crossing items off your list, you're actually filling up your bucket. The more items you cross off, the more joy gets added, until eventually your joy spills over into the lives of those around you. Now, let's start crossing it off together. Can you have too much passion in life? I don't think so. Our Bucketless Storyteller today lives a very passionate life where she does something incredible for other people that she loves and enjoys. But she also has a bucket list that is absolutely completely different than that life where she wants to go out and have adventures and be a part of nature and do those kind of things. We can have more than one passion. Our Bucketless Storyteller today is a great example of that. Let's hear how she does it and start crossing it off. At this time, I'd like to welcome our bucket list storyteller. Her name is Melanie Rose, and she describes herself as interesting, courageous, outgoing, and curious. And if you recognize the voice, uh, you might from the Netflix series, How to Build a Sex Room, where she is the designer and builder for uh, some people's dream. Melanie, welcome to the show. Thank you, Roger. It's lovely to speak to you. Yeah, this is great. Uh, so tell us, what did you cross off your bucket list? Uh, visit to Nepal. So give a little background, like where's Nepal? Like if people are, are geography challenged and what's, you know, what's it kind of like there? What's, you know, just give it a gist of Nepal. Okay. So Nepal is what we would call a third world country. It's right next to India. It's a very tiny uh, country and it's uh, capital city is Kathmandu. Mm-hmm. And that's where I flew into. I was, uh, Actually, I was with my boyfriend at the time, and we were the last flight out of Gatwick Airport on Christmas Eve. Oof, that had to be rough. It's that's that sounds like a portion of the journey. It, it was. I mean, it was great. It was immense fun. We had stopovers in Frankfurt, and then a stopover in Dubai, and then uh, gingerly landed uh, in Nepal, in Kathmandu. Okay, so what made you want to put this on your bucket list and cross it off in the first place? What was the reason why you wanted to take that trip? I think it's because it is known as a third world country. I wanted to experience uh, another culture. You know, I was very, I was very lucky in my upbringing, but I wanted to visit somewhere that was um, wasn't like a really known tourist attraction aside from Mount Everest, of course. But I just wanted to experience a different culture. And uh, Nepal is very, very different. And I was there for a month. Oh wow! Slow travel through a small country—that's a—that's a lot. That's a lot. Yeah, it was, but it was so much fun, though. I mean, you can't beat it. I, I just landing at Kathmandu Airport. You know, two of us not knowing where we're going mm-hmm. didn't have. Um, I think my one requirement was I needed to book a hotel so that I knew when we got there we had a place to stay for one night. That was my only requirement for this. So let's go back just a little bit. So did, you wanted to go someplace that was culturally different than where you were. Did you open a map and like throw a dart at it? Or did you actually like have a reason like Nepal is the place? I think it was, you know, let's let's go trekking in Nepal. Nepal okay. is the place. Let's go. What kind of preparation did you have to do to make this trip? Was it, you said it was Christmas. So was there weather that you had to worry about? Like, what did you do to prepare? 
Yes. So the most important thing was getting a really good pair of hiking boots, um, actually getting a really good, uh, comfortable backpack that could house everything that uh, you would want for a month's stay or for a month's trek. Obviously, a very, very warm sleeping, uh, sleeping uh, bag and just layering in the clothing as well and some thick socks and gloves. And the most important thing uh, really was toilet paper. <laughs> So this wasn't like, I mean, certainly there are probably hotels and hostels in Nepal where you could stay, but you actually like camped out and trekked like on on long hauls or did you go out and just hike? Did you just go do day hikes and then come back into the, to the hotel or it sounds like it was a little bit more extensive than that? Yes, it was a little more extensive. We stayed at this one hotel and then we sort of like wandered to uh, the very famous Kathmandu Hotel, um, which is very well renowned. And you sort of like walk in and it's like, okay, we need a a room for the night, please. Thank you. Um, And it's quite surreal. So we would stay stay there for maybe a couple of days or a couple of nights and then sort of like walk around Nepal and getting in the sights and the sounds and sort of like trying to become part of, you know, the locals or taking in the real cultural side of it. Um, I think what was really interesting to me when I was at Kathmandu Guesthouse was back then um, they had pictures and and letters from people who had tried to smuggle drugs out of the country and had been uh, put in prison. So they were like, okay, has anybody got any reading books you could send us to the, for, send you know to the prison? That would be great. And so that was a little sh- that was a little shocking. Taking drugs out of the country, not bringing them in. Taking them out. Kathmandu is is I tell you, you do five, every five st- steps. It's change money hashish. <laughs> That's all it is, and it, it is you know full of uh, um, crops of cannabis and stuff like that. So. So what what was like a typical day when you were in in Kathmandu? What was that like for you all? Um, it was interesting trying to navigate your way around these you know these streets where it, it's filthy, dirty, and you know water buffalo uh, you know are eating you know our sacred cows and are eating all the stuff out of rivers and that people have polluted, um, and just taking in you know, the markets uh, and those sort of like touristy places and the beautiful temples and really Mm. sort of like taking in the moment, you know, being present in the moment while we're wandering around. Uh, So it is obviously a walking city uh, and it was great. And to view these temples and the monkey temple and all sorts of things, it was fun. The one thing we did, uh, we were very conscious of, is not drinking any of the water. That's mm. a no-no out there. Um, I actually came back with amoebic, uh, amoebic dysentery, probably from some food that I had eaten or something. But um, you have to drink boiled water, um, and you have to be very careful about what you actually ate. And you how know, did you prepare for that? Was it just like in the moment, like talking no, to other no, tourists? No, pre- or? no, pre-prepared for that. There's a whole itinerary before we went to Nepal of series of injections, cholera and stuff like that you need to have uh, taken care of before you actually travel there. Um, we did have some cholera tablets and things, um, but we were warned that, you know, if we were in a bus, a local bus traveling to somewhere, it could be stopped at any time. And then they would just use, uh, inject everybody with the same needle uh, with sort of like, um, you know, something to to stop it from spreading. I know it was... Oh my god! I, it was very weird. Very weird. 
Yeah, the same needle. That sounds. I'm not sure. You're, you're like convincing me not to go at this point. It's absolutely wonderful. I mean, you, you know, get on a bus with goats and chickens and the locals. It's fabulous. And so the hike, the hiking and the trekking. Did you plan that out ahead of time? Like which route you were going to take and that kind of stuff, or or was it just you got there and get advice from folks? No, I think it was get advice from folks. Uh, one of the things you do really need to do is when you're a tourist and you travel in there, you do need to stop off at a, and at a tourist place and actually write out your name and your address and of where you're planning to go. So if for any reason you got lost or um, you died or anything like that, they would say, OK, on this date, they left this. They were going to this place here. I didn't we didn't really do any trekking because I'm not necessarily a trekking kind as it were um but we did go down to pokhara which is this most beautiful beautiful village and it's where they filmed the golden child do you okay. remember that movie with yes, Eddie oh, yeah. oh yeah and the himalaya and the, the himalayas in the background and this serene lake it was absolutely picturesque it was divine and we did do a very long walk, which was a, a seven-hour hike, actually, up this mountainside and um, you know through the greenery and passing you know four-year-old Nepalese kids hauling you know branches back to their villages and stuff like that. And again, they'd go change money, hashish. <laughs> Even the kids. <laughs> oh yes, yes. It's interesting. So you never really, you never really camped. It wasn't like you, you were backpacking necessarily. It was more of just like going and visiting places and, and seeing things. Yes, it was. And you would go to, we would just go to a village and, you know, like Pokhara, we'd arrive there and then we'd go, okay, where should we spend the night? And we'd go and look for a hotel that would take us. Um, you know, it's very interesting. The hotel down in Pokhara that we stayed at, um, they actually found a place that actually had a toilet, which was great. But it had one of those very, this is a bit graphic, but they had one of these old German toilets in there. And it was where you normally just poop and let it go and flush. This had a ledge. So you, when you pooped, it would just sit there and stare at you. <laughs> and what you would do is check for worms. And then you would flush it away. Just to make sure you're you're doing all right just inside. Sure yes, just to make sure. <laughs> I mean, it was absolutely bizarre, you know. I went to restaurants where it was just a hole in the ground and you'd have to squat and there we go. And, you know, there'd never be any fucking toilet paper. So I'd make sure I've got wads of it stuffed into my pockets, you know. <laughs> there you go. So give us like one or two uh, experiences that you had that you were really glad and, and brought you joy from doing those things while you were there. When I look back at it, my favorite trip was the, to Chitwan National Park. And uh, in the park, in the reserve there, you are not allowed to, you have guides. Uh, we had two guides called Hariji and Bishna, and um, you are not allowed to carry any guns. So when we got, to, when we crossed uh, the river and got into the jungle side of it, we went rhino trekking on foot. So you actually just break off uh, big branches. Now, the key to tracking rhino on foot is what you're looking for is a mound of hot, steaming dung. So it's That's fresh. That's <laughs> giveaway. That the, yes, it's absolutely fresh. You know there's a rhino around. So then you move very, very gently and very cautiously. One of the tips we were, uh, we were given, which is not a tip, it's actually a survival skill, 
is if for any chance you get chased by a rhino, do not run in a straight line. You run as a zigzag. Uh-huh. Because rhino are so huge, they look like they're wearing armor plate. Their body can't turn as quickly. So you have more chance of running away doing zigzag than you do than going in a straight line. That's insane. I so know. Did you, see, did you find any? I mean, did you see? Oh, well, of course, we were going through the bushes and found a nice steaming pile of uh, dung. And uh, one of our guys, Harry G, I think it was Harry G, actually just went, shh, shh, shh. And so it was like, stop, do not move. And we just peeked our head through some branches and there was a mother and calf. And then um, Bishnar, I wish he hadn't have done this, but it was very exciting, started making rhino noises with his hands. And then suddenly they turned around, they went, up tree, up tree, up tree, up tree. (laughs) So the guys went first and I was the last one up there. They helped me up. And then right underneath us, the mother and the calf were below us they couldn't see us but they could smell us mm. and there was just like deep snorting sounds and my uh, my boyfriend at the time was going take a photograph take a photograph and i was like are you fucking kidding me i'm trying to hang on to the tree <laughs> yeah. we which hand out. do i use <laughs> yes which one do you want me to do hey bucket listeners it's roger host of the show i just want to say thanks for all those that have been sticking with the show during my time of healing If you didn't know, I suffered a stroke in July of 2023 and have been on the mend ever since. I appreciate everybody that stuck with me as we've gone from two episodes to one episode a week and dropping an older episode to fill in that gap. So many of you have asked how I'm doing and how you can help. My sister has created a GoFundMe account for me as I'm unable to do my regular job that usually pays for my ability to do podcasting. So if you'd like to learn more about how I'm doing and ways that you could possibly help, please go to the show notes and find the GoFundMe page uh, listed there under resources for Roger. Thank you so much for sticking with the show. And let's get back to another great bucket list story. Um, But we were up there for a good 20 minutes until the mother and the calf moved away. Well, that's not too bad. I, mean, I was thinking you might have been up there for hours. So if you're just up there for 20 minutes or so, that's, yeah, that's not too bad. So. That was good. But we spent the rest of the, you know, being very, very vigilant. Um, and, and, and it's scary, you know, going through an area where you're not, you know, the, the rangers or our guides were not allowed to carry, you know, guns. Um, you know, it was all sticks and you've got monkeys, or, you know, running around and all sorts of things. But I would not. I would not have missed that that opportunity, and I'm so pleased we did that. When family and friends were told that, you know, by you that you're going to go do this, what was their response to to you taking this trip? Oh, for God's sakes, why are you doing that? <laughs> yeah, and you're going, I'm sorry, you're leaving on Christmas Eve? Are you nuts? Do you have a, a return date planned? Which the answer was no. Um, <laughs> we just happened to come back after a month. Um and yeah, absolute nuts. Are you kidding me? It's, it's going to be freezing. Do you know where you're going to stay? You know, how, you know, you've got to plan this out. And, and we didn't, we just went and, and just did what, you know, what we wanted to do. Was there anything about your experience that was negative? You, t- you talked about you're going to a third world country. You're trying to expand your bubble and be in a place that's 
culturally different. Was there anything that about that part of the experience that shocked you or was like, ooh, I wish somebody would have told me about that besides things you've always shared? I don't think so because I don't shock easily, you know. <laughs> From my show, How to Build a Sex Room, nothing shocks me really. I think what really ups- I think what was more upsetting was the amount of po- the the amount of poverty. Mm. You know, we had uh, we had befriended a, a young lad called Sati who would uh, you know we would go out on his rickshaw and um, he would just sleep under his rickshaw at night, you know, and. Uh, we would give him sweaters and, and, and jumpers and to keep warm and extra socks and stuff like that. It was quite um, quite sad to see. You know, we're so used to, as a westernised culture, used to, okay, going to bed, we've got nice warm, you know, central heating, you know, electric blankets, and, you know, there is none of that there. Yeah, I mean, we have uh, unhoused people here in Seattle where I live but you're still traveling at like 65 miles on the highway, but you know, passing them. And it's not as impactful as seeing the same person every day outside your door or interacting with that person. That's a, that's yeah, a big it's, difference. That, that I think was the most uh, a, a shocking moment for me was to see the poverty and just, you know, how much they earn, you know, it, it, they don't earn a lot of money at all. I mean, it, it's no wonder it's like change money hashish, you know, you get your rupee out and, you know, give them something. So if you had to pick and you had to say, this was my favorite moment, what would that have been? Well, I think the first moment was actually the the event at Chitmon National Park because the sunsets are beautiful. Mm-hmm. You know, we are also, we were warned about tigers as well. Um, I did go elephant riding mm-hmm. through the through the jungle and they were treated very well, I might add. I know we see, you know, images coming back from places where they're not, you know, it's a tourist thing. but they are captive animals and there are herds of wild of wild elephants out there so uh, but they were well well looked after and we did go out and you know trek rhino that way as well but we were warned about tigers so i would say the the part chitwan national park was great i didn't enjoy the part where we went somewhere else and i nearly died but that's okay all right go there what was it what... What was that? So we decided we'd be very exciting if we went on a whitewater rafting trip. Oh. Okay. So when you go in there, it's, uh, you know, there are other people. You sign your life away, basically. You oh, can't, sure. if anything happens to you, you know, you're on your own, basically. And we had two days of uh, learning to whitewater raft, not in ideal conditions. Um, it was fine. But they hadn't realized that there had been so much rainfall that we were now rafting in rapids uh, at a level five. Mm. And, um, you know, we did have some very strong guys on to even out the team. We had our our rafters and we had two rafts and um, it is hell on high water. That's all I can say. Um, You know, when you paddle, you have to paddle. And there was one point where we got stuck as we dropped off the fall uh, of the waterfall and we got stuck under the water. So we've got pounding water against your back. And my boyfriend at the time was trying to hold me um, afloat and above so I could take in water while we had uh, two kayakers, thankfully with us who had to throw a rope to shore. And then we had to get in the water and hand hand it to the shore. If you've ever experienced the speed of water and you're trying to move against it, it was frightening. Did it you get was... back in the boat and finish the trip? No, or... it was okay. too unsafe. They realized it was too unsafe. And this, we, did, we did this on New Year's Eve, by the way. 
And when we got back to the hotel, um, the tour guides actually cancelled all of their other rafting trips because they realized the amount of danger that we had been in. That's incredible. I am personally very glad that you survived that experience for sure. Oh, darling, uh, so am I. <laughs> yeah. If someone was next to you and you were telling the the story about your experience and they said, Oh, I want to put Nepal on my bucket list. And, you know, I would like to go, what's that like one thing that you would say to them? You got to do X. What's the X besides just do it right. Besides the Nike slogan, what would be something you would say? You got to do this. Go, go to Chitwan national park. Okay. I mean, it was stunning. Um, there are areas, obviously, if you have money where you can play it very, very safe. But we did choose not to do that. We wanted to go on the wild side. <laughs> that doesn't and, surprise me coming from you. <laughs> no, we did want to go on the wild side. And I remember at Chitwan National Park, they have like a, an open air sort of like restaurant. There was only my boyfriend at the time and I and another two ladies there. And I remember having this most delicious um, sweet corn soup. Mm. And it, it was absolutely gorgeous. And, and we complimented so much. We said, what, what's, the, what's the menu? What's the recipe for this? You know, I want to do it. I want to take it back with me. And the chef came out holding a packet of MSG. <laughs> Yikes. Oh, it was fabulous, but it was so good. It was so good. I, I, would, I would do it on the wild side. And you can't, I, it's hard to describe because it is, it's such a personal journey. But it's so beautiful to see animals in their own environment as well. Melanie, if you look back on the trip and you've kind of assessed it and analyzed it, was there anything that you came out of that trip, like as far as Melanie being transformed or well, the way Melanie looks at the world? What was it like for you after you got back and landed? I had a deep appreciation for when I came back that we have fresh running water. We have toilets that flush. We have, uh, you know, toilet roll. And we can brush our teeth with tap water. I mean, I really think you get a sense of, okay, I'm living the lap, lap uh, you know, I'm living in luxury here because I even, can do all of those things. Yeah, even at the basic level, you're... you're even at the basic still, level. Yeah. And there, there's that deep appreciation for that. Uh, uh, for that. Uh, it's, it's incredible. How has that kind of showed up in your life moving forward from that experience, having that knowledge and knowing that? Has, has that changed how you do things or think about things? I do. I mean, I'm always, uh, I, my mom had this wonderful expression, you know, was be, always be nice to the bellboy on the way up. Uh, mm. You never know when you might need him on the way down. Um, I don't judge people. Um, I try and be as open as, and transparent as I can and, you know, appreciate that, you know, I live in a world now where I have a gardener, but I still, you know, find out what he's doing and how his family's doing. And, you know, we get into conversations about things. And, you know, I think you need to, let's put it this way. I'm not one of these snobbish people that will not uh, talk to, I suppose, you know, staff, as some people call them. That's not me. <laughs> I talk to anybody and everybody. Awesome. Melanie, what's something else that yeah, you might have on your bucket list that you'd like to cross off? Uh, safari, South Africa. Okay. I want to go to Safari. That's what I would specifically like South Africa for any specific reason, or no, not really. I think it's you know it's finding the the right safaris to go on, um, and again, seeing seeing these animals 
in the wild, I have, and some people will hate me for this, but you know, even though we have a, there, there are people that don't agree with having zoos and don't agree that animals should be locked up behind bars, but in another sense, we are saving their species by doing that. Mm. Um, whereas, it, but I really want to see the the wild animals, even though they are in a protected uh, protected areas. I'd like to see what it's like. That's my next thing. That's what I want to do. Is there any specific animal that you would like to see? Is there something that, you know, it's like, I want to see this thing? I don't know. Is it the top? I don't know if it's the top five. I'd like to see lion. I'd like to see rhino, elephants. Um, you know, I'd love to see a cheetah. And if I get the chance to see a tiger, that, that would be great for me. Yeah. I had a guest on recently where she said that she wants to go on safari and they pick someplace. I think it was in Zambia. But like it's just in a park, and you just go out there, and there's no, there's nothing between you and the lions or, or anything. It's like you just stay out in the tent, and you, yeah, and you I, go I, by. I, I braved it to Nepal. That was great, um, but I don't think that I would, uh, you know, <laughs> under that circumstances. I think I would rather, you know, see it in a different view. I think, uh, you know, I think, I suppose going it doesn't have to be South Africa. Anywhere in Africa where I can appreciate animals in their true environmental background that's what i want to do that's what i want to 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 take on board that's awesome melanie where can folks connect with you online how can they uh, find you and learn more about what you do because it's very interesting and i would suggest if uh, you haven't watched uh, how to build a sex room on netflix that you should go out and watch it i think it's an awesome show very inclusive which which i just thought was fantastic uh, and Melanie also graced uh, my other podcast with my co-host Ruth, uh, where we review uh, TV shows. And that uh, interview is also out. You can find that in the show notes. But Melanie, where can folks find you directly? Uh, directly really through Instagram at uh, Melanie Ruth Rose. And um, you'll see me there. You'll see the Facebook pop on. You'll go, oh, that's her. Um, or you can visit my website. We feel free to go there where I have a list of you know things that I've been up to. And that's www.melanieruthrose.com. Okay. We'll put all those in the show notes so that people can click right away uh, and find you. Uh, Melanie, thank you so much for being here. It's always a pleasure to talk to you and get to interact with you. And I love your stories. And I, whenever you get to cross that safari off let me know and we'll have you back on because i'm sure it'll be just as fun to listen to that as this oh was. my god yes absolutely thank you so much indeed roger for uh for allowing me to tell my story thank you 